Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissoff and this is RFI Group's podcast focused on key trends, market insights, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. The episode this week focuses on chatbots and virtual assistants. We investigate both sides of the fence to truly determine if they are in fact differentiators or if they're simply hygiene factors. Our guests include Pete Steele, Executive General Manager for Digital at Commonwealth Bank, and Alan Shields, Managing Director of Consulting at RFI Group. Chloe James, Group Media Director at RFI Group, spoke with Pete Steele from Commonwealth Bank to discuss the catalyst behind creating their new chatbot, Seba, the research and development process and their data partners behind the chatbot, and their plans for further personalization of Seba for the not-so-distant future. Pete Steele, thank you so much for coming on the RFI podcast to talk all about Seba and chatbots and virtual assistants in general. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. So just kicking off, we are seeing a lot of activity happening around the chatbot and virtual assistant space, and there's obviously a lot of competitiveness there. What was the catalyst when it came to CBA creating Seba, your chatbot? Yeah, there's a couple of things we're thinking about. We've got a lot of customers already who interact mm. with this through our digital channels. It's about six and a half million Australians now. So a lot of people are using digital, much more so than branches and call centers now. And But we were looking at different ways of interacting with customers. I don't know about you, but a lot of us are using chat and typing on WhatsApp all the time and, and obviously SMS. And so we're looking at some of the emerging technologies. There's voice and other things, but we thought, you know, a good bet is for convenience, just if it works for customers today, why not introduce text and chat as a, as a great way for customers to interact with the bank when they want to. We looked at a few partners uh, around the world, a few different industries that had been trying it, and we thought, let's start small, let's do a little pilot and um, see if we can introduce new way for customers to interact with the bank when they choose. Ideally, make it really smart and efficient as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's fantastic. And I, I've had plenty of experiences kind of using chatbots across different industries. It's so nice to see it come into banking, because it is great just to have that, especially as you say, at so many different times of the day or night, or when you're in another country to be able to instantly just have that conversation with someone. And it might be the smallest of questions, just that you need a quick answer on. That's right. Convenience. And uh, it's that moment when you're traveling or it's late at night, you don't really, some people just don't like talking to people as well, to be honest. And so you can type in messages. <laughs> a big uh, principle for us was not only try and make it personal, but also really useful. So um, we've got nearly 250 things that mm-hmm. the chatbot can do for you now. So not just bring up a information page, but it can actually move money for you. It can tell you what your balance is. It can stop your credit card or issue a credit card report fraud. So Mm -hmm. we integrated it into the bank. That took a little while to get the integration and also took a little while to train Mm -hmm. the chatbot. And um, it's really interesting. It's it's probably going to be there for the foreseeable future. Just customers are responding really well to it so far. Talking about the sort of training and I guess creating a sufficiently intelligent chatbot, we know that companies have, you know, used a large number of human conversations and interactions. I just wanted to hear a little bit about the R&D process and data partners that you used when you were creating SIBA. Yeah, well, to be honest, it was a fascinating process for us. So um, to start with, we definitely partnered, actually a startup, a company called Nuance and another one called LivePerson. What we did was we we started by looking at the way and listening to the way people talk, our customers. So recorded scripts from phone conversations. We loaded all of that and emails and things that we get 
into an engine so Nuance could start to train our chatbot as to how, you know, the, the subject matter that we deal with. Mm. Then we um, started a very small pilot. And it turns out we're, we're unusual creatures. Australians are probably all humans. We ask for things a lot of different ways. <laughs> and so the, the 250 things that it can do now, we ask about 50 or 60,000 different ways. We express those intents. And so a lot of the AI and, and the research is training the machine to say these, these five or 10 ways we're asking actually map to this one thing that you've got to do. And so it's this, you know, feeling this intuitive way of recognizing the way we talk, uh, the way we type and saying, okay, did you mean stop the credit card? Because you want to get those things right too. You don't want it guessing too much. And so confirming your intent with the action, that's where the smarts is. That is totally where the smarts is. And I'm thinking of, you know, if we bring it to Australia and you think of, I guess, slang, different words, different languages, this is a really, it's quite sort of emotional and people use completely different language, don't they? So that's amazing. What are some of the most common things that people do ask out of interest? Well, to start with, we get a few funny ones, which is similar to, you know, when Siri and everything came out and you start asking it some personality type questions. So we get a lot of those, (laughs) you know, where are you? What's your name? What's the weather? And we obviously get some questions about the bank as well. So we spend a bit of time making sure the SIBA chatbot actually represented our bank and our values well. So, you know, we spent time getting some sometimes cheeky, but sometimes fun answers to those sort of questions. But then more broadly, when you get into the more serious stuff, there's a lot of actions that people are using the chatbot for, for balance checking, get at transactions, has my money come in, how much, what's the balance of my check account? Mm. And we, even that we call a check account, a, a current account, a transaction account, a lot of different things as well. Credit cards. So a lot of people are stop starting credit cards, um, reporting fraud, paying bills and, and moving money around as well. So 80% of the things so far are, are what you'd associate with banking. 20% are just general mm-hmm. inquiries about the bank or sometimes it's um, more philosophical questions, which we're trying to train the chatbot how to answer well. Oh, it's fantastic. I, I think it would probably be quite funny in the process of planning all this and looking at the back end, some of the funny questions. You know, when Siri first came out, people, including many friends of mine, sit at the pub and ask Siri funny questions about pop culture and so on. My, my favourite of those was always the, um, I think they took it out now, but the, you know, where's a good place to bury a dead body? And they, Siri used to say, go to a Microsoft store, you know, no one ever goes in there. We did think about putting a cheeky competitive answer in for our version of that, but we've um, decided not to. On to Sebra and this personalization piece, because I think the personalization piece is really interesting. Just going on to that, I mean, you're talking about, you know, where people are spending their money on what on. Is there going to become a point in time where Sebra can create personalized advice and maybe in more of a proactive way. So proactively offering kind of product needs on customers based on banking habits that SIBA is identifying based on what that customer is asking them. Yeah, absolutely. We um, First thing is SIBA for us is a secure experience. So SIBA only appears once you're logged onto our app or once you've logged onto our website. So I actually, I know it's Chloe or mm-hmm. I know it's Pete. And so that's the first thing. It is quite a personalized experience. Now, so far where we're at is we've learned from hundreds of thousands of ways customers ask for things and we're connecting that to actions soon. And it is on our roadmap. We'll be able to use your data because you are logged on and make it quite personalized answers or quite personalized suggestions as well. So we have a lot of focus for our normal 
digital experience on you know, helping with, you, with your spending patterns and giving you a bit of guidance. We tend to call it guidance, not advice, because advice you know, usually involves a planner and a lot of compliance and things. So we have guidance at the moment in our normal digital experience. It's really exciting to think that CBA will be able to give you some of those insights. Pete, you're spending more this month on transport or alcohol should you have a think about your spending patterns. We actually have the tech and insights for that now. And so that's going to be definitely the next iteration. And we think that'll be yeah, maybe a little bit intrusive, maybe shining a light on some of those uncomfortable truths, mm. but we think it's going to be really good for customers. I think so as well. And that's I think that's a really interesting point. I think when, when all this AI kind of started coming out a little while ago, there was that whole point of, is it intrusive and do I feel watched? But actually, if it's delivering a real true benefit for a customer, for example, this is how much you've spent on groceries yeah. this month, Chloe, as opposed to last month, just to be aware of. And, and if it's been beneficial to, to my bank account at the end of the day and my bottom line and what I have to spend, then I see that as a good thing. I think so. So and we're learning there as well. We were learning the way people react. A big part mm-hmm. of what we put in from the start is feedback test as well. So you do a thumbs up, thumbs down. Was it helpful or not? Because we we mm-hmm. don't want to be overreaching or creepy there, but exactly right. Trying to hit that sweet spot where it's helping customers. They feel like that and they're prepared to you know, um, share a bit of information for that experience. Thank you for that. A little bit here about chatbots turning rogue. How do you guarantee to your customers that Ciber will actually complete the intended banking task when when they've asked it to do so? Funny story, not so funny stories out there about chatbots. The one I um, anchor on was, I think it was the Microsoft chatbot. Unfortunately, it went live, really good tech and AI and some of the, I'd say, darker elements of the internet, a bunch of um, trolls and people it was learning from the language and social interaction around it and people overnight trained it to become quite a hateful um, chatbot and it, it picked up that language from others. So we want Ciber, our chatbot, to represent our brand and values. And so we've got a team, a small team, who supervise the machine learning. So when customers talk to the chatbot, it comes up with suggestions. They actually have to approve uh, how Ciber is interpreting things and how they'll be mapped to actions or, or um, interactions. So that's a really important thing. We can't have this thing go rogue. For all the clever AI, it's always got to have that human oversight. Yeah, and, and keeping the human element involved, particularly in the early stages, it's for your customers, which I completely understand. Something here on digital technology, and we obviously see that there can be some friction points when people begin to use different channels, ones that they're not used to. You know, we saw it with contactless when it first came out. Just wondering with this chatbot technology around the user experience workflow, how are you encouraging customers to use Ciber and to know it's there and to kind of give it a go? One of our key principles is, again, it's it's there when you're logged on. We don't want to make it too intrusive. So whether it's on our mobile app, or whether it's on our website, it's kind of available there for you. It might suggest something, but you need to choose to interact with it. So you, you type something in. Eventually, we might go to voice, but you type something in. And it's a flow that sits alongside your banking experience. It doesn't replace it completely. So it's like a little coach on the side there is how we've designed it. So we think that works so far. We did a lot of user testing. We've gone slow over the last 18 months to try and make sure it really works for customers. But also really another really important principle for us is If you need to talk to a person, like you might have started with chat, we want to make sure it's really easy for you to then either step up in video conference or phone. We try and stitch together 
the experience across our channels as well. It's great that it's built into the site and the app and it's just there already. I know it is very early days, but are you seeing a difference when it comes to calls to the call centre or any sort of web inquiry forms that you feel CBA is kind of alleviating a little bit of, I guess, the pressure on those channels and people using CBA instead? Target eventually, I think we'll see a reduction in some phone calls because if it's quicker and easier, you know, CBA's always on and CBA's always rapid. Mm-hmm. And so versus inevitably waiting in a phone queue, We'll eventually, I think, see a reduction in phone calls. We haven't so far any in any significant way, partly because we've you know we're still rolling it out to all our customers. They're getting used to it. Some people are still calling. Mm. Ultimately, again, if someone needs to talk, that's great. This is more a choice thing rather than a replacement. But my personal belief is after a while, the convenience and speed for just those easy to do things, we'll get used to just telling Siba to do it for us. Mm. The human conversations more for those difficult emotional things or complex things. I see them complementing, not replacing. Yeah, which is a really important point, actually, for any virtual assistant or chatbot out there, even across industry. I love your point there about it being just another channel for someone to go through. It's not a complete replacement. Yeah, we've all had that um, experience where we don't like being handed off to an IVR or something that just keeps going on and on. You have to press buttons and you have been in queues. And so we, we think there's a really good customer empowerment thing. But again, it's it's early days. So it, But the, the progress, I've been quite surprised. This machine learning capability, it learns very quickly. And so in, in a year from now, I think it'll be doing five, 600 things wow. for our customers and understand a lot of ways that um, customers talk to us and ask. It's amazing to think that the number, the scale will, you know, double, obviously from what it is now and more so. We're going to wrap up soon, Pete. I've loved talking to you about this. It's really exciting. An organisation that you look to and, and CBA in general, biggest bank in Australia, who you look to for innovation when it comes to digital, it doesn't have to be within financial services. I love Amazon. Uh, I, I just start with them every time because their imagination and they incorporate the physical world and the digital world as well. And they try and I've had the privilege of, I get to travel and look at banks around the world, mm. uh, non-banks as well, small startups, big giants. And and they just repeatedly have this culture of innovation, fast failure, mm. what works well, you know, they accelerate and they are not minded about it's only one model. You know, they'll, they'll certainly have an openness to try things. I really admire them. You know, I certainly don't welcome them as a competitor. I uh, learn a lot from them all the time. Then there's more simple examples, you know, everything from pizza delivery and Domino's and others. I think companies like that do a great job. You, know, you can imagine we, we would emulate, for example, credit card delivery and give you that same sort of experience to let you know it's on its way. So just simple things like that. I, I take lessons out of all industries and, and our team just do a wonderful job putting them in place for customers. The last question I need to ask you, Pete, we always like to finish on this one, and it might be interesting asking a banker this, but banks versus fintechs, who will win? Not necessarily a straight answer, but I'd just love to hear your view on that conversation. I think a lot of the emotion has gone out for most people around fintechs are going to kill banks. And and I don't think that's good for customers or industries or, or anyone really. I think where a lot of us are moved to nowadays is fintechs and banks can win together and partner. The chatbot Siba, for example, we partnered with two international fintech startups. They've been incredibly good to work with. And the customer experience as a result, something we couldn't have done by ourselves. We've got customers that we can bring to those fintechs and it, it's a win-win. So I, I see um, more of that in the future for most fintechs. Yes, definitely some 
will be very focused on taking our customers away from us and introducing disruptive business models. And that's fantastic. You know, that keeps us all more competitive. But for the most part, I think we like partnering with fintechs. They need to be secure and add value, not just 50 lines of code and, and think that's a wonderful model to take forward. But, you know, for great fintechs, we think you know, huge future partnering with banks, not, not being at each other's throats. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much, Pete, for your time. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Pete Steele, Executive General Manager for Digital at Commonwealth Bank of Australia there. Thanks so much, Pete. My pleasure. Thanks, Claude. Cheers. Next, we have Alan Shields from RFI Group, who shares his insights on the key trends and current state of the market across the globe, how organisations can build comfort amongst consumers and the banking tasks that are most used when consumers use chatbots and AI tools. Welcome to the RFI podcast interview with Alan Shields, who is obviously one of the co-founders of RFI Group and the Managing Director of RFI Consulting, where we are going to chat today on this podcast all about chatbots and virtual assistants. Alan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Chloe. Well, I love this topic. It's a really interesting one, really exciting to see what's happening all over the world in this space. We are obviously seeing so many organizations around the world expand their existing digital propositions by adding these chatbots and virtual assistants. I just thought we'd start with your overview of basically what we're seeing in this area across the world. Yeah, uh, well, I think, as you say, it's it's a really interesting space at the moment. There's um, When you look at the way that consumers uh, interact with each other and interact with the organizations that they're customers of or or that uh, service them in, in any way. We're becoming more and more digital. And I think one of the factors that's become more and more evident uh, as we see the new generations emerge or become adults like the millennials is that uh, increasingly people are interacting via chat. So whether that's messaging apps like WhatsApp or uh, WeChat or using dedicated messaging apps with their uh, organizations that they're customers of, people are doing more and more frequently. And I think, you know, we even, it's even the joke, isn't it, these days that, that younger consumers don't have conversations face-to-face, they send each other messages. So I think, you know, it, it's certainly a very interesting space. And inevitably then organizations that are looking to service customers are looking at the ways that they can provide that service interaction in the right format. And chatbots are something that we're seeing used increasingly um, and that organizations are increasingly talking about using if they're not using them. When you when you look at the stats on it, and we've got some statistics that we did through our global survey of consumers across 10 markets, the, on average, about 80 or 83% of consumers are using messaging apps in some way. Um, and, and then when you start to look at their experiences of interacting with organizations through messaging apps, that's also increasing. And I think I think the other thing, I mean, we're talking going to talk about this from a financial services perspective. I think what we need to recognize and what many of the banks already recognize is that consumers' experience expectations are set by their uh, interactions they have with non-banking organizations, you know, with their airlines they deal with or utilities providers or the people that they buy their books through or their music from, you know, it's those kind of interactions that we need to think about. Yeah, um, fantastic examples there, because I think what's so interesting in this piece is that piece that 
people do, as you say, chat via so many different means on so many different, uh, across so many different industries. So if we're thinking about comfort levels, then obviously consumers are very comfortable with this kind of, I guess, communication tool. How can banks and financial services providers offer the same levels of comfort? Do you think that they offer the same levels of as comfort as, as say, you know, when you're asking an airline on, on one of their chatbots or, or any other of the means that you've just mentioned, Spotify, sort of other examples there? How do, how do banks really capitalise on that? The age-old question, I think, isn't it? That, you know, you've got, for some of them to become comfortable with, with something when it relates to their finances is, is a much more difficult ask. So I'm, you know, I'm fully comfortable talking to my airline's chatbot about a future trip that I might be wanting to make or a ticket issue that I have or a booking reference number. But am I actually comfortable having a conversation about the home loan that I'm looking to get because I want to purchase the property or the credit card issue that I have because there's an erroneous transaction. And that, that's a, the age-old problem. But I think, um, I think it's all about getting consumers familiar with things. And when they get familiar with things, they get comfortable with things. Um, even, you know, we started talking about chatbots probably two years ago. Mm. And when I first heard the concept of a chatbot in the context of banking, um, I think at, the, at that time it was, you know, how do we integrate something like Facebook Messenger into the banking experience? And I thought, why on earth would we want to integrate Facebook Messenger into the banking experience? And then I think probably two weeks later, I had to call up my bank's call center to uh, make a query. And it took me, you know, probably six or seven minutes of being on hold. I had to go through, I don't know how many kind of menu systems to actually end up speaking to somebody. And I thought, that's why. That's why we want to be able to integrate mm. these some of these messaging platforms into the banking experience because it just makes it so much easier. And, and as and as you mentioned on the, the comfort levels, like you're already comfortable with Facebook Messenger, for example. So actually, even though you're thinking the overlay of that originally, you thought, oh, why would we integrate that? But actually, if it's something that you're already using on a very regular basis, I guess you have a level of trust with it, regardless of what messages you're writing if it can be overlaid into a banking system it, it is a bit of a win-win yeah i think it's just a, there's just a consumer education piece there absolutely and there are of course going to be consumers that will never use this they won't, won't ever touch it you know my my nan will never use an atm my mum will never use internet banking and there will <laughs> be people that they will never use chatbots right but that doesn't mean that, that the majority of people won't use chatbots. And I think that's where they come in. The other interesting thing is, of course, we talked about Facebook Messenger. You know, they don't have to be those kind of messaging apps integrated. That is the way that uh, organizations like DBS have gone uh, in Singapore, POSB, through through their POSB brand, sorry. Um, but I think, you know, there are also native chatbots or, or, or chatbots that have been developed by banking or other organizations that are not. You know, nothing to do with Facebook. So I think that will help with the comfort levels um, of consumers. And also, I mean, the other thing I should say is I mentioned Facebook, but, you know, it's not just Facebook. WhatsApp, when we look at the markets that, we've, that we do research in, in many of the markets, WhatsApp is actually the most commonly used messaging app. Um, obviously, China is very different. We've got WeChat being number one there. So, you know, there are different platforms and different solutions for different organizations and different countries that will work and will make consumers more comfortable. Absolutely. 
When it comes to most common tasks, do you have a view? Well, firstly, what are what are the most common tasks that people are using uh, banking chatbot for at the moment? And then do you see a bit of a progression over time that perhaps people, I mean, maybe it's an advice piece at the moment. And then do you think it could get to a point where you really are sort of facilitating and doing some very much more extensive banking tasks via a chatbot in the future as they develop as well? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. So, I mean, when we you look at what people are doing currently, it's very much, it is very much the basic stuff in the mainstream. And I think when DBS launched their um, messaging app, they sort of reported that in the first few months, the number one query that people had on the chatbot was, where's the nearest branch? There's still that kind of, you know, we're, we're sort of doing very basic things. And ironically, in that case, you know, using a very digital forward platform to find out where the late, local physical presence is, which is quite interesting. When it's we quite talk telling, to isn't it? It is. It's really, yeah, it is really interesting. When we talk to consumers about what they would be willing to do via messenger services, we've got, obviously, there's a group of consumers who are never going to do it. But the ones that say that they will do it, the things that they say they're most comfortable doing, checking balances and recent transactions, you know, inquiring about new banking products, um, paying a bill, mm. those are your top right. three things, or just co contacting a customer service representative to solve issues, that's number four. That makes sense to me that people will be most willing to do those things. Things like changing a product that they already hold, you know, seeking investment advice or applying for banking products, those things will come later. But yeah, the basic stuff is where we need to build the familiarity and, and the comfort levels. Mm. There's been a bit of a discussion about obviously the introduction of, of chatbots and virtual assistants help with things, and this is across our research obviously, but things with speed, things around speed, accessibility and convenience. And there's been a little bit of mixed opinion about that as to whether that's actually the fact and whether it does improve customer engagement and satisfaction or it's merely just a hygiene factor. Do you have a view there and what does the data say? Yeah, I'm very strongly of the opinion and our data would back it up that if first for a new proposition to be successful um, it has to be fast it has to be secure um, and it has to be accessible right because if people can't get to it and it's slow and it doesn't offer them any kind of benefit above and beyond what they're what they're currently doing it's going to be a difficult ask to get to that goes for payments it goes for um, any new technology um, that's on offer so so absolutely i agree with that but you ask whether it's a hygiene factor. Those things become, those things are hygiene factors, but that doesn't mean that they're not critical. The way I like to think about it is windscreen wipers on a car are a hygiene factor. Mm. But if, you know, if you've got one windscreen wipers on your car, you're never going to be massively happy with your car because it's got windscreen wipers. But if you take those windscreen wipers away, you will not be happy. Mm. So, so they're a hygiene factor, but that doesn't mean that they're not important. Yeah. Oh, completely. Just just finishing up, Alan, because we, we should sort of wrap it up soon, but any any banks out there or bankers, you know, considering uh, introducing chatbots or virtual assistants or, in fact, putting more resource behind projects they already have on the go and in the fire, which I'm sure many do, what are the biggest efficiencies they can expect? And I guess another kind of little overlay to that question, do you think that most traditional and even new new-to-market entrants should be investing in chatbots and virtual assistants? Yeah, I do. Absolutely, I do. I don't know why you wouldn't be looking at them as a, as a kind of service um, efficiency. Uh, I think that some of the biggest benefits that we'll see from them 
uh, from an, uh, an organizational perspective would be around reducing the burden on call centers. So yeah. I have I wrote uh, an article recently. I see I see the death of the call center before I see the well before I see the death of the branch because you know it's politically it's not popular to be reducing branch numbers and um, ultimately the the call center is kind of where the the frequency burden is in terms of customer servicing. So I see that see that being alleviated. I also see massive opportunity in the in the application process. So you know there is with the with the onset of chatbots and AI and, and systems that learn, there is the opportunity for them to have a natural language conversation with a customer about a future banking product, which actually is then populating a banking application form or the you know the data that's required for an application in the background. So the customer never has to know that they're doing an application or never has to feel like they're doing an application, basically. So I think that's a big opportunity, particularly with the onset now of open banking and comprehensive reporting. Uh, etc. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Alan. Great to chat to you about that. Certainly some insight there and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks very much, Chloe. Cheers. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.